Welcome back into one-on-one, New York's longest-running sports calling show. We're joined now with a very, very special guest. I don't give two varies, you know, very often there, so that's a that's an honor in itself. CBS, you know, college basketball insider John Rossi. And John, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, I want to get started with obviously your partnership with FanDuel that you just announced on Twitter the other day. You know, kind of wondering how that came together, what we can be expecting on that front. Well, guys, first off, it's great to be with you. I hope that you uh, enjoy the Oreo cheesecake at Pasquale Rigoletto's as much as I do because, you know, I'm a big Arthur Avenue guy. So yes. I hope you're big fans of a good dessert, which is a short trot from your campus. But, you know, to be honest, there's not going to be that much difference than what I've already been doing. You know, I think the one thing, and I'm sure you guys have seen this as aspiring people in the media, is that the media landscape, especially digitally, has changed so much in the last five or 10 years. You know, I'm somebody who always knew that he wanted to do college basketball. I did talk radio for a while, especially here in New York. I was a talk show host for six years at ESPN Radio New York, but I knew I wanted to cover college basketball. And if you weren't a player and if you weren't a coach, obviously the thought was, well, you got to obviously have a TV job and you got to obviously have a writing platform. And I would say probably five, six years ago, you know, you really saw that there just wasn't much of an effort to really have high profile writing assignments in college basketball. I think, you know, other than the athletic, nobody is really doing it. I did it for CBSSports.com for a number of years. There wasn't a lot of support in that area. And after bouncing around and doing some different things and, you know, having some opportunities at different places, I felt that I was doing so many different things in terms of you know, writing and I had a podcast and I launched my own merchandise line a couple of years ago at collegehoopstoday.com, which I'm proud to say, you know, my portion of the proceeds goes to charity, a great charity and mission continues. I was doing all these things and creating all this content, especially when I was going out to campuses and seeing uh, practices that I said, you know what, I think, you know, it's time to kind of be authentic, be a little bit entrepreneurial and kind of do all this stuff to sharpen my knife, so to speak, so that I'm the best I can when I'm doing a podcast, when I'm doing a studio show. And FanDuel had interest in all of it. FanDuel just wanted to be a partner in all of it because, you know, I don't think about this, but, you know, if I need to do a breakdown of a Fordham-St. Louis game and, you know, talk obviously about the impact that Francis Socorro can have on the inside as a transfer from Oregon, there's a market for that. So, you know, I was very excited to, when they showed interest in becoming a partner. And, you know, it's going to be a, a fantastic partnership for a long time. It's really been a fun start out of the gate with FanDuel. John, you were actually talking to the two guys that were calling that Fordham St. Louis game. So it's just a hilarious, hilarious I coincidence it. I had to point out. But I want to sort of go back to your origins. I want to ask you how you got started at CBS. What was the yeah. hiring process like? And what did you... I guess, go through to get this position to where you are now? Well, you know, you know, nothing obviously happens overnight. You know, I think it was Charlie Chaplin said it took him his whole life to be an overnight success story. You know, I was doing, you know, the college basketball insider role for MSG Network for three years before I went to CBS. And, you know, in addition to that, I was also doing updates, reporting, fill-in talk show hosts, for ESPN Radio New York, but I would always get more of a platform during March because of, you know, the Rolodex that I had, because of the knowledge that I had, and because I was also doing a lot of freelance college basketball writing at the time. So prior to CBS and Turner's partnership, 
you guys remember, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, but prior to this partnership, you know, it used to be just one game was on CBS and that was it. So CBS Digital came up with something called March Madness On Demand. Now, what that was is if there were four games going on at one time, if there were two games going on at one time, you could watch the other games online and there was a studio show needed to do half times and post games and things like that. And in March 2010, I was able to join CBS as part of March, you know, Madness on Demand. So the following season, CBS Sports Network, which then was CBS College Sports, hired me as their college basketball insider. Now, this this was much different because CBS Sports Network does not have, you know, the inventory that it has now. We had the Mountain West back then. We had the Atlantic 10 and the Mountain West was awesome. And that was the year that Jimmer Fredette was at BYU and Kawhi Leonard was at San Diego State. But we were still only doing a day or two of television. Then all of a sudden, CBS, you know, started to continue to grow. We rebranded CBS Sports Network. They added, you know, obviously a lot of NFL shoulder programming. But then that led to obviously some rights with the Big East, some rights with the West Coast Conference. And really, the network has taken off from there. So I joined CBS in 2010. In 2016, I started to contribute to the main CBS broadcast network. And then from there, I did more and more for the broadcast network, contributing in the studio, doing, you know, some sidelines as well. But I also was able to launch a food and basketball series where I sit down with, you know, coaches over a meal. So we've done one this season with Jawan Howard. And also, you know, I'll share here that there is going to be one coming out with me and Rick Pitino here, you know, hopefully in the near future. So there'll be a, there'll be a number of those a year, you know, knock on wood, as long as uh, we continue to move forward out of this pandemic. I was about to ask you about Rick Pitino and Iona coming up, obviously just won his 800th game. But, you know, before that, I, I've seen some stuff you've done where you talk about how early in your 20s, you'd miss vacations with friends and stuff to cover, you know, yeah. teams in the summer and stuff like that, build connections. Wanted to know, obviously, because we're trying to bring into the industry, a lot of us are. How important was it to kind of build those connections for your career? It's invaluable. And I, I will say, you know, as I get older, you know, I, I tell people all the time, look, you know, at some point you're going to want to have a life, but you know, if you want to have a life before, you know, you have obviously cemented yourself in this business, you will never have a career. And I hope that, you know, makes a lot of sense. Now I'm just, you know, telling this to full throttle, like, you know, I've been in situations too, where like, you know, I'll have to go out with my wife and her friends and like, you know, I'm streaming games on my phone, or like they're ordering sushi. So like that happens too. But I think it's important to understand that if this is what you want to do, you can never ever really like assume or never really expect that you are going to have a regular calendar with holidays and obviously birthdays and things like that. It does not exist in our business. You have to be flexible. And, you know, I think the people who are willing to embrace that are the ones who separate themselves. But yeah, no, I remember in 2007, which is when I, you know, started, you know, to have an opportunity to contribute at the MSG network. And I got hired in the 0708 season and I was doing a ton of stuff for 1050 and I was writing so much freelance and so on and so forth, trying to get my tentacles out there as much as I could. You know, they're 52 weeks in a year. I think I work seven days a week, 45 or 46 of the 52 weeks. So it's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the grind is real, but I want to move on to another grind that is Fordham men's basketball. The program has once again flipped this time. Kyle Neptune is in charge after Jeff Neubauer. And there are a lot of things that I personally can go into as just someone who's yeah. been around the program for 
quite a long time. So I've seen a lot, yeah. but I want to get your opinions, John, on what you think Kyle Neptune is doing so far and how you think you can roadmap this Fordham program moving forward. Well, I think the hard thing too is everybody wants to make comments and predictions when somebody's been never been a head coach before and you can't do it. So we had to see Kyle run a program. We had to see how Kyle's teams would play, how they would practice. And he has checked every box in terms of what, you know, he's been able to do now. And I don't want to obviously, you know, dampen the mood here. Fordham had a great win. Okay. And Antonio day made a layup over Duquesne, I believe, you know, to give Fordham, you know, a real momentum win, you know, early in the Atlantic 10 slate. And then obviously he had to remove himself from school and, you know, he left the program. Fordham can't afford things like that to happen and still have breakthrough seasons. So, you know, it's hard enough when you're talking about a program that hasn't been in the NCAA tournament now in over 30 years for Fordham to get over the hump. But I'll say this, you know, all of the other stuff, when we talk about, you know, culture, which is an overused term a little bit, when we talk about obviously demeanor, when we talk about accountability, Kyle's checking all those boxes. And I think, you know, the good thing when you look at obviously what Fordham has coming in is Kyle's recruiting very well. So all of that is, you know, is, is are all real positives right now, but you can't be a program like Fordham, a team that again, hasn't been to the NCAA tournament in three decades and have your best offensive player and lead guard, leave the program and still be a team that's going to make, you know, an unexpected jump. And that win over Duquesne, I think it had Fordham like tied for second in the A-10 yeah. at the time. And I wanted to shift over to the A-10 in general. It's a fascinating league. There's so much parity. Really, you know, we're seeing this year teams can beat whoever on any given day. Wondering from what your perspective has, how many bids could we be looking for and your thoughts on the A-10 in general? I don't think you're going to get more than two teams in the Atlantic 10. I think it could be one if we continue on this trajectory and Davidson wins the Atlantic 10 tournament. You know, the Atlantic 10 now in my opinion, if things break a certain way, is almost viewed as like a mid-major type conference. And it wasn't always that way. And, you know, guys, I've been very outspoken about this, you know, for years. The biggest mistake that the Atlantic 10 ever made was going to 18 league games. And I think if you look at the West Coast Conference this year, the West Coast Conference has four teams, you know, very much in the mix for the NCAA tournament. A big reason is the non-conference scheduling flexibility that it has. And, you know, I look at the scenario in the Atlantic 10, you know, the Atlantic 10 eight years ago had as many teams in the NCAA tournament as the AACC. The year before that in 2013, they had five teams in the NCAA tournament. And after the 2013 season, Temple, Xavier, Butler all left the league and it had more teams in the NCAA tournament the next year. So the Atlantic 10 as a conference, in my opinion, opinion needs to recalibrate its entire approach and find ways, I think, to make sure that it gets the respect nationally that it deserves. Because now, you know, the teams really in this conference aren't even being given a chance to really put together the type of at-large situation that deserves. The Atlantic 10 should be, I think, a three- to four-bit league every year, and it's not this year. Yeah, John, I guess uh, moving on, on the discussion of conferences, let's shift over to the bigger picture, the Power Fives plus the Big East. Who, in your opinion, is probably the deepest conference this year, and who should we be looking out for in those conferences? Well, you know, I think the Big 12 is clearly the best conference in college basketball. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think, you know, the one thing that's different this year 
versus last year as it's the polar opposite. Last year, you knew that Baylor and Gonzaga had separated from the pack pretty early in the season. This year, there's significantly more parity across the board. When you think of the different dynamic in college basketball, there's a number of teams that could win a national championship. You know, I think what we're going to see too here is over the next five weeks, different teams are going to continue to emerge. Look, people nationally feel a lot differently about UCLA and Kentucky than they did seven days ago because of the way those two teams performed last week. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you something that I always think is really interesting. It's when in the season we can start maybe projecting more towards the tournament, looking, you know, less back on it. So for example, like BYU had that tough loss to Pacific the other day, when, in your opinion, is it too early or it's time to kind of start looking at March and looking at, you know, bracketology and all that kind of fun stuff? Well, I, you know, I obviously, you know, try to do it every day, but I hear what you're saying. I think this is what you got to do, guys. And this is something that I will share with you that it makes you better at your craft. And it also makes it, I think, a little clearer about how hard it is to get to the NCAA tournament. Like, you know, a lot of people and you guys are, you know, at Fordham, so you're covering the Atlantic 10. Like, they'll be like, oh, well, St. Bonaventure's playing Davidson Tuesday. If St. Bonaventure beats Davidson, they're in because they're the best team in the conference, so on and so forth. And that's not the case. Write out 68 slots. Then write out all the conferences and they're get them getting an automatic qualifier. Then go through and see who you would put in the tournament. And all, all of a sudden, you're going to get up to 65 or 66 teams pretty, pretty close. So if we're looking at the Atlantic 10, obviously Davidson has the best resume right now out of any team in this conference. But as we get through February, if you start to see a team like a St. Bonaventure, like a Dayton, because they have such a unique resume, go off on a run. Remember, they're not competing with other teams in the Atlantic 10 necessarily for a spot in the tournament. They are competing with the Creightons, with the Wyomings, with the San Francisco's, with the North Carolinas. Those are the teams that they're competing with. John, uh, one more question here really quickly for you. Um, obviously, you do some sideline reporting for CBS. I have done a little bit for Fordham basketball here and there uh, throughout the season. I guess I'll ask you from perspective of that, what is the number one thing that you like to do going into sideline prep and what do you try to prov provide as the sideline reporter? You know, it's different, so different than the studio. The studio is my favorite thing by far, just because, you know, I obviously cover everything. So you can obviously, you know, chime in on different topics. Sidelines, I think, is about trying to add to the broadcast. Obviously, the play-by-play -play and the color guy are going to be steering the ship. But you have to go in and you have to bring different dimensions to the broadcast. And for me, as somebody who's been to practices and is always talking to coaches, you just try to obviously lean into that insight and I try to elevate the broadcast as best you can. John, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time. And if you follow him on Twitter, you know how busy it is. So <laughs> you really do know, you know, how gracious he is for taking a few minutes with us. So thank you so much, you know, for that. Uh, we will be right back with more one-on-one. -on -one. 